Hello, my rebels. Today, I talk about a very touchy subject, very sympathetic subject, a terrible subject, a sad subject, and a politicized subject, namely the accused mass murder by Nathaniel Veltman of the Afzal family on the streets of London, Ontario. Is it a murder? Is it terrorism? Was it motivated by anti-Muslim sentiment? Well, those are questions that will get answered in the days and weeks ahead. But what are the politicians doing about it already? I'll get into some of the answers there, and they're not all good. That's ahead. Before I do, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. It's the video version of this podcast. Eight bucks a month or 80 bucks for the whole year if you pay in advance. You get my daily show uh, in video form, plus Sheila Gunn-Reed, David Menzies, and Andrew Chapados. And... Um, the reason I, I encourage you to do that is because there's a lot to see in these podcasts. We depend on your eight bucks a month to pay our bills because it lets us be independent as opposed to most media that take money from Justin Trudeau. So please go to rebelnews.com and click subscribe. All right, here's today's podcast. Tonight, a 20-year-old man in London, Ontario, kills a Muslim family with his car. Was it terrorism? It's June 9th, and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. On Sunday night, a 20-year-old man in London, Ontario, allegedly drove his car into a Muslim family, the Afzals, on the street, killing four people, injuring another. Nathaniel Veltman has been charged with four counts of first-degree murder and one count of attempted murder. Uh, the victims are Muslim. The suspect, Veltman, is a Dutch Christian name, not Jewish. And I mention that only because it's relevant to some of the political reaction we've seen. I'll get to that a bit later. This is a terrible event. It's a, a terrible crime. It's been front page news. Politicians of every stripe have made public speeches about it, in part because the victims were Muslim and it is allegedly a hate crime. One witness said Veltman was wearing a helmet and what looked like a bulletproof vest. Another witness said Veltman was laughing when he was arrested. Now, national police resources are being deployed, so it's being taken very seriously. There's also a chance that means it could be politicized by a very political Trudeau RCMP. But as of yet, Veltman has not been charged with a hate crime or with terrorism, though that may come. Witnesses say he was barreling down the road at a very high speed. One question that will likely have to be answered is, was he looking to kill Muslim people in particular, or was the Muslim family he happened to hit just the unlucky random victims? Because if I understand the facts correctly, the, the collision didn't happen outside a mosque or at a Muslim event, but on a busy street. Did Veltman know he'd be hitting Muslims? Did, did he see people who were visibly Muslims? I, I understand that the women were not wearing hijabs, for example. Is that a fact? Did he swerve into them? For what reason? I don't think all of that relevant information has been reported yet. 
It won't lessen the pain of the loss for people who are dead, but it will color the nature of the crime, won't it? So what do I think? What should we think? Well, obviously we're against violence. We're against murder. And if violence has a political or religious motive, that's a working definition of terrorism. We're against that, of course. So far, I've seen no reports of Veltman's social media footprints, anything he's said or done on Facebook or Instagram or whatever that might yield a clue to his state of mind. Facebook Canada says they've deleted an account that they think is connected with them. I wonder what they have removed from public view. I suppose it'll come out closer to the trial. I'm curious about that. But in some ways, I'm, I'm also glad Facebook took down his page. If he were following or liking other pages on Facebook, those people would obviously be blamed, even if there was no connection to the killing. I remember that Alexandra Bissonnette, the murderer at the Quebec City Mosque, followed Facebook pages related to the NDP, the separatist party in Quebec, and also Donald Trump. Well, guess which one of them was blamed by the media for the murder. So in that sense, I'm loath to do a political commentary about this tragedy just yet. We don't have all the facts in yet, and I don't know how much there would be to say other than to condemn it and to have sympathy with the victims. When a Jewish synagogue was attacked in Pittsburgh a few years ago, it was a mass murder of 11 people. I didn't feel the need to opine on it as news commentary. I obviously am against the murder. It was politically, and in that case, uh, anti-Semitic motivations. It's a reminder that evil exists among us, but I frankly didn't feel compelled to make a larger political statement based on it, even though it was my tribe that was attacked. I guess I could have opined that violent anti-Semitism is not over, which would be useful to say, only in that I think the media has stopped caring so much about it ever since anti-Semitism has become a de facto cause of the left, especially on campuses and in the Democratic Party in the States and the Labour Party in the UK. But as to the crime in London, Ontario, sometimes it takes a while, maybe days, maybe weeks, to distinguish a political crime from a crime of madness or another non-political motive, such as someone seeking media notoriety. I mean, for example, here's Nicholas Cruz, who murdered 17 people in a Florida school a few years back in what actually became America's worst school shooting. Hello, my name is Nick, and I'm going to be the next school shooter of 2018. My goal is at least 20 people with an AR-15 and a couple trace rounds. I think I can do a good done. Location is Stone Douglas in Parkland, Florida. It's going to be a big event. And when you see me on the news... Well, I know who I am. So is that Florida mass shooting political? The murderer was so antisocial, he moved schools six times in three years. There were literally dozens of complaints to the local police department about him as a teenager in the years before the killing. A school counselor reported to the police that he was both suicidal and wanted to buy a gun, but no one did anything to stop it. After that Florida shooting, there was a political inquiry into it. It revealed how the school system ignored warning signs, and it showed that on the day of the shooting, local police were, well, they were cowardly. 
They hid rather than rushing in to save. The local sheriff, in fact, was eventually suspended by the governor and other police resigned. And some students from that school became activists, including a leftist named David Hogg and a conservative named Kyle Kashuv. So that's the politics of that. What is going on here in London? I don't know if there were systemic failures that can have a political wrinkle to them. I think a lot will depend on the facts. Was it a deliberate targeting of Muslims? What was Veltman's motive? But even though I don't think those facts are known yet, well, there has already been a very political response. Of course, I understand a public response. It's a tragedy and most likely a crime. But I think the response has gone much beyond that for political reasons. Here's Justin Trudeau announcing that it was terrorism. Now, police haven't said that. Veltman hasn't been charged with that. Maybe Trudeau is using the word in its plain meaning. It is a terrifying and heartbreaking crime. But is it normal for a politician so senior, who is the boss of the RCMP, to announce publicly before a trial and the facts are aired, before the investigation is likely even done, to announce a conclusion like that and to mention right-wingers? Do we know that? Or is that just Trudeau's usual shtick of calling anyone who opposes him both racist and violent and trying to hang this around the neck of Trudeau's political enemies? Their lives were taken in a brutal, cowardly, and brazen act of violence. This killing was no accident. This was a terrorist attack motivated by hatred in the heart of one of our communities. They were all targeted because of their Muslim faith. This is happening here in Canada. And it has to stop. Mr. Speaker, we stand with the people of London and with Muslim communities across the country. We're going to continue to fund initiatives like the Security Infrastructure Program to help protect communities at risk and their schools and places of worship. We'll continue to fight hate online and offline, which includes taking even more action to dismantle far-right hate groups like we did with the Proud Boys by adding them to Canada's terror listing. And we'll continue doing everything we can to keep communities safe. Who knows? Maybe those things will all prove to be true. Maybe Trudeau was briefed privately in a way the public hasn't been. Maybe the RCMP has already come to their conclusion. Could be. The reports of a helmet, body armor, speeding car, laughter, they certainly point to a terrible motivation. But unlike the Pittsburgh synagogue, which was obviously a Jewish target, this was on a more neutral highway. I guess I'm just saying it adds another question that may well be answered, but I don't know if it's been answered yet. You know, there was another mass attack in Canada on the street just, just two months ago, actually. Look at this story. North Vancouver stabbing attack. Suspect's friend says she's shocked as police search for motive. This guy, Yannick Bandaugo, if I'm saying it right, he allegedly stabbed seven people on the street, murdering one woman, wounding the others. Six of the seven victims were women. That could be a coincidence. I don't know. 
But there wasn't a national reaction in the same way there is to the London attack. In fact, the news pretty much went away in a day out there in Vancouver. There wasn't a national movement of mourning. It didn't get the École Polytechnique treatment, the Montreal massacre treatment, even though it was six women. I don't know why, other than my earlier point, crimes are not inherently political. Madness can be a factor, and let's be candid, please. The accused in the Vancouver stabbings is a visible minority, which doesn't fit the woke political narrative of, what did Trudeau say, right-wing, white supremacists, whatever. Again, I say let's wait for a trial for the facts to come out. But that's not what's happening in London, Ontario. It's political from the beginning. If Veltman did deliberately murder these people because they're Muslim, well, I believe in capital punishment for murder. So that's my view. And if he was motivated by politics or religion, we'll charge him with terrorism too. I don't think we have that yet. But what we do have is a media political class that already knows its script. For example, the government of Ontario is brutally shutting down businesses, churches, protests against the lockdown. But they specifically lifted those rules for a memorial for the London family, the Afzals. Now, I appreciate that. I'm sure the community does too. But either you say the rules are scientific and health-based or, or you don't. Why is this funeral exempt but no other funerals are? Why is this political cause exempt but no others are? Well, actually, come to think of it, Black Lives Matter was exempt from anti-gathering rules too, come to think of it. Look, I want all of us to be able to meet in happy occasions and sad occasions. I don't believe the pandemic is an acute threat. But if the government really does, why would they allow a super spreader event like this? Because they don't really believe it's a super spreader event. Or if they do, they believe in politics even more. But let me show you just one moment from an otherwise touching memorial. It's a local London imam, this guy. Munir El-Kassam. He spoke very briefly at the memorial. I'm going to show you his whole speech. And it was nice. He was talking about community support until suddenly it went off the rails. And he connected the attack on the Afsal family done by, allegedly, this 20-year-old Dutch Christian. This imam connected it to the recent war between Israel and the terrorist group Hamas, which is based in the Gaza Strip. Now, you can be pro-Israel or you can be pro-Hamas. I think if you're for Hamas, a terrorist group that's literally banned in Canada, I think you have some explaining to do. But it is a point of view. But what does that have to do with this case at all? Nathaniel Veltman sounds like a Jewish name, but it isn't. But so what? That seems to be enough for this imam. Was he some instrument of Israel? Did Israel get in the car and barrel down the street and try and pick off Muslims? Well, here, watch the imam's whole speech and you decide for yourself. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Brother Bilal Rahal asked me to share final words. Well, I don't have to speak. Each and every one who's present here is a final word. You all said everything that needs to be said, except one angle I would like to share with our officials. Now, there's a reason why they say the world is a small village. Every country has a foreign policy. 
I just want to say, whatever is happening in Jerusalem and Gaza is, is related to whatever happened in London, Ontario. Period. Thank you. So he links this killing on the street to foreign policy. This 20-year-old kid is now an instrument of foreign policy. He links it to Jerusalem. He specifically tells the politicians to believe him on that. And when he's done, wild cheering and a chant I couldn't quite make out. So you're blaming the Jews. I mean, it's one thing to blame Veltman. I get it. Sounds like he pretty clearly did this, according to witnesses. Why he did it is yet unclear. That's my real question. But this wasn't a condemnation of Veltman. This was an explicit message to the politicians and the attendants, absolutely clearly blaming foreign policy and, I suppose, Canadian support for Israel, blaming Israel. Israel? How is Israel to blame? Is, is it because Veltman sounds like a Jewish name? Uh, that cheering, holy cow, that cheering at a memorial. That was pretty boisterous cheering, wasn't it? This mass killing of the Afsel family, an innocent family cut down on the street, is an awful tragedy. It sounds like it was murder. And it certainly could be terrorism or motivated by anti-Muslim hatred. Could be. If so, throw the book at him. But in Canada, even if Trudeau has a really urgent tweet to make, we usually have the trial first before announcing a conclusion or a conviction. We have to get along peacefully in Canada, and we have to eschew violence. And I think that applies to everyone, including an imam who got wild applause for blaming Israel while Canadian politicians of every party sat there in silence. Stay with us for more. Hey, welcome back. Well, yesterday I showed you that Manitoba is the first Canadian province to bring in a vaccine passport. I showed you also that you must agree to disclose your information to third parties. They don't quite say who. But, of course, Manitoba is just a province. It doesn't control things like international borders or real passports. That's under the purview of the federal government. Well, today, the government of Canada and the Liberals say they are contemplating an actual vaccine passport where if you want to be able to travel freely back and forth into Canada from a foreign place, you must get the vaccine. Here's Trudeau on that in question period today. To ensure that somebody tests negative before they leave uh, an approved accommodation by the government when they come into Canada by plane, has worked in order to detect cases and to protect Canadians from bringing in variants of COVID-19. We know that we must continue to protect Canadians as a priority during this pandemic, but we also recognize that people who are fully vaccinated should be able to have more freedoms. So he's contemplating ending the 14-day COVID jail quarantine hotels and removing the quarantine in particular. If I'm understanding him correctly, 
Here to correct me if I'm wrong is our friend Andrew Lawton from The Andrew Lawton Show at TNC.news. Andrew, did I, did I correctly understand him? I mean, he just came out with this a moment ago. Um, I understand that they're aiming to end their hotel quarantine hotels. I think those are likely to be struck down by the federal court. Um, Rebel News, JCCF and others were in court last week, and, and I heard that the government had a really bad go of it. I think the COVID jails are on their way out, but what do you make, did I understand correctly that there wouldn't be a 14 day quarantine at all if you had vac- vaccination? So what they announced today, and by the way, they haven't even committed to a start date. They're saying they'd like to do this sometime in early July is for people who are fully vaccinated and provide proof of that. You would need to get a departure test before you get on a plane for Canada like now. And then on arrival, you would also take another test at the airport or when you get home in the case of land crossings. And then you have to go into quarantine until that arrival test comes back negative. So your quarantine is basically as long as it takes for that test that you take at the airport or once you cross the border to come back. So two days, perhaps. Hmm. Um, Well, Trudeau phrased that you'll get more freedom if you take the jab, but that's another way of saying you'll get less freedom if you don't. Uh, One of the things that I've noticed, and it's been very frustrating to me, Andrew, is that there was a point in time when freedoms were infringed based on healthcare measures. So how many people are in intensive care units? How many people are in the hospital? How many people are dying? In fact, you'll remember the rationale for the lockdowns at the very beginning was two weeks to flatten the curve. And by flatten the curve, they meant we can't all get sick at once. That'll overwhelm our hospitals. We've got to slow the rate that we're getting sick we can't stop people from getting sick. We, you know, life goes on, but we can't overwhelm the hospitals. That's why in the States, they sent those hospital ships of the U.S. Navy to L.A. and New York to take the overflow. It was never needed. So, but at least back then, Andrew, the test was, can we make sure we don't overwhelm the, the hospitals? That's not happening. Hospitalizations are down. Deaths are down. Intensive care units are down. And even cases, which is the weakest measure, is down. So now they're tying our liberty to whether or not we take an experimental medication. It's not actually tied to how healthy we are, is it? No, and and if it were, it would simply be about getting the test result. And and that's been the basis. Well, it's not been the basis of the government's program completely. But up until this point, you get tested and whether you're positive or negative, it's the same thing. You have to quarantine for 14 days. So the reality of them saying that this is going to be the determining factor in how much freedom you have misses the mark that they've already taken a lot of that liberty away. And and liberty is supposed to be something that's there and in very narrow circumstances, for absolute necessities, it can kind of be abridged in special circumstances. They've made no liberty the default position, and now they're meeting out little bits and nibbles and crumbs of liberty here and there. Yeah, and another thing I want to point out is, at least when I was uh, trying to delve into the Manitoba vaccine passport, <clears throat> I don't think it contemplated people who are naturally immune. And by, by that, I mean people who got sick and got better. In fact, a lot of people, um, the vast majority of people get sick from the virus and they don't have to go to the hospital, let alone the ICU. In fact, we saw that incredible case the other day of, of a golf champ on the PGA Tour. He literally didn't know he was sick. He was six strokes ahead. He was winning a million dollar purse 
And they came up to him on the green and said, tap, 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 buddy, you're sick. You don't know. You got to get off the green right now. It was so crazy. Um, he will be immune because he's had the disease. He will not be exempt, even though I would put it to you, he has a better immunity than people getting a jab. I think, if I understand correctly, being naturally immune, getting the disease and recovering from it, will not give you this exemption, at least not under the Manitoba system, as far as I can say. And I don't know, I, I just feel like this is really moving away from actual healthcare measurements to the profiteers of the pandemic. There's nine new pharmaceutical billionaires uh, this year alone. I, I just, I think it's all the worst conspiracy theories coming true that this isn't about health, it's about vaccinations. I, I see this as being more about the political contradictions that, that come, because on one hand, you've had a, a government say, get vaccinated, this is going to be the way out of the pandemic. And then people who have done their part, who have gotten vaccinated, whether in Canada with four months between doses, or people that have gone to Florida or Arizona and gotten vaccinated there, up until now, they've been coming home and forced to quarantine, forced to keep their masks on, forced to do all of this stuff that the government's making everyone do. And the government's answer has been, we're all in this together. And now that slightly more people are vaccinated, the government's having to do something to make it worth people's while to, to be vaccinated. But uh, for them, having said all along that these are the silver bullet to get us through the pandemic, the policy hasn't really aligned with that. And, and to your point about acquired immunity, when you enter Canada, if you have, uh, you have to supply a negative test taken within 72 hours, unless you can prove that you've had COVID through a positive test from, you know, up until I think a year prior. So in that sense, yes, if you have acquired immunity, you get out of the having to do a negative test, but it doesn't get you out of quarantine. So which is it? Are you safe if you have had COVID in the past or are you not? And there's a litany of these contradictions and inconsistencies in the government's approach to this, whereas uh, just general risk, uh, general well-being, vaccination status, uh, COVID antibodies through acquired immunity, all of these things are, are given different weight in different directions by the liberals. Yeah, I don't think there's any science behind it. I want to say one thing. I think this is a way of teasing people. Like they're doing a lot of obedience training, a lot of conditioning here give, take away, make you grateful. Oh, you should be so grateful. You know, you're going to be able to go to a patio this summer. Rest, not, you certainly won't be trusted to go into a real dining room, but you can go to a patio. So they're, they're training you to be very excited. But uh, I should say that in Canada, although the majority of people now have had uh, uh, one shot of the vaccine, less than 10% have had two. And that's the standard they're actually proposing to use for this vaccine passport. So that's another way of saying we're gonna be locked down for an enormous time yet to come. And by the way, as people see that, you know, the, the deaths and the hospitalizations are down and everyone's back, people are not gonna to wanna to take that second jab, at least not everyone. I mean, we've played the clip before of half of Anthony Fauci's staff just refusing to take the vax. They don't feel they need it, it's not worth the risk. I think this is just another psychological trick to, to give people a false ray of hope uh, that they really don't intend to follow through with. But I've, I've become extremely pessimistic in the last year. 
Well, I certainly think skepticism is not misplaced given all the different directions the government ha has taken this. You are very correct, though, is that the government ha has been saying that everyone needs to get vaccinated, everyone needs to get fully vaccinated, and they're going to reach a point where people just don't see it as being a big priority. They are not going to wait the four months or they'll forget, they'll lose out on when their appointment is, whatever the case may be. Or I think more importantly, people will feel that, well, if they got their first dose in June, by the time their second dose is going to come around, it's going to be October. And by that point, if things are open, it doesn't really matter. And I, I think the, the the initial wave of people that were really excited and taking their vaccine selfies and posting their stickers, there are only so many of those people. There are a lot of folks that like when the flu shot comes out every year, they aren't anti-vax, they aren't pro-vax. They're kind of just, if I get around to it, I'll, I'll get it. And the liberals, I, I don't think quite banked on how big that population might be of people that are, are not against it. They just, they aren't in a hurry. Uh, well, here's the thing. I mean, anytime you tell people they're not allowed to ask questions or not allowed to discuss something, their, their spider senses start tingling. And, and there's been so much misinformation and disinformation from official sources. I mean, we still don't know where the virus came from. For a year, you couldn't be skeptical and say, oh, I think maybe it came from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. For a year, you said something like that. Facebook would kick you off. YouTube would censor you. Now, that seems like, frankly, it's the preferred hypothesis of what happened. You saw Anthony Fauci, you saw Theresa Tam saying, yes, masks, no masks. Yes. Like the, like the rules are changing. You're not allowed to question it. There's so much government peer pressure. I think that has actually created skeptics created conspiracy theorists. And I, I think that where there, there may have been people who said, well, sure, I'll try the, the vaccine before. Now there's such peer pressure and political pressure from the entire establishment. And now they're offering lotteries. They're giving you free money to take the vaccine. I think some people will go along with it because they don't care. But I think they are creating a hardcore of resistant dissidents who who think that this is an, an appalling Orwellian move, just using health as an excuse. I think they've bungled it. And I'm not anti-vax myself. I've had my shots on every other thing, but it really makes me, I don't wanna, I don't wanna take these experimental drugs. They're experimental now. They haven't been tested fully yet. And the government pushing them so hard on me is making me twice as skeptical. Look, people are, are going to make decisions that are right for them. And, and anytime we move into a, a territory that takes away that individual right to choose or makes it so that you have a choice, but it's not really a, a real choice. If, you know, for example, well, you don't have to get vaccinated, but if you don't, you won't be able to uh, go to school. You won't be able to go into your office. You won't be able to do this. At a certain point, it becomes not a choice. And I, I do think that's a, a significant risk, which is why even a lot of left-wing civil liberties groups have spoken up in response to the Manitoba vaccine passport in, in particular and said, well, hang on, there are a lot there are a lot of questions with this that the government is not willing to address. Well, can you give me that news? What left-wing civil liberties group has spoken out against that? Because Well, the, CC, the CCLA. The CCLA spoke up and, and said it had significant concerns with, with vaccine passports. All right, well, maybe we'll get a nice tweet from them or something. Maybe, I swear they've been the most uh, lazy watchdog I've ever seen. You know, um, I look again to Florida, as I so often do, and the governor there, like the, the cruise ship industry in Florida is enormous. Um, multiple cruise ship companies are based there. Uh, they all sail from there. I think Florida is the number one cruise state. Frankly, it's a huge industry. 
They were planning on having vaccine passports for their customers. But Ron DeSantis, the governor, said that that's illegal and they would be fined $5,000 per instance. So he stared down a major industry and they blinked. I think mm-hmm. it takes that kind of guts to, to stamp out this vaccine passport idea in the private sector, or you're going to see it in sports events, in, in musical events, in any group events. You're going to see it in woke companies, banks. They're going to say you can't even come in without a vax passport. I think, you know, it's going to be up to governors like Ron DeSantis to stamp it out, and hopefully we'll be the domino effect beneficiaries of that. But I can't think of a single politician or company in Canada that would stand up to it. No, and, and the challenge, of course, and I said this months ago, that a, that a vaccine passport in some form was inevitable, and I got a lot of backlash from it, but the point that I made was that I don't believe as, as Canadians, for example, we have the right to tell Italy or the UK or France what their rules should be as sovereign nations. And and the point that I made is that we know that a number of other countries are going to put in some requirement, and your choice is do I go to that country or do I not? Within your own country, it's a very different story, though. And, and despite being someone who is completely on board with vaccines, and, and I, I still support individual choice on the matter, I, I'm very uneasy with creating a society in which this becomes your license to enjoy your, your constitutional freedoms. Yeah. Well, I've uh, spoken with our constitutional uh, lawyers who have been challenging, first of all, um, we were in court last week for the COVID jail hotels, we're challenging the Saskatchewan government's ban on gatherings. I think we might have to challenge these vaccine passports too. So I'll keep our viewers posted on that. Andrew, it's great to see you again. Thanks for letting me rant a little bit here. I feel like we're entering actually in some ways a worse phase here. They're so desperate to keep the state of emergency going that they're gonna, like I think the health risk has long since passed. And I mean, listen, the number of cases um, is the lowest it's been in nearly a year. But they are ratcheting up the rules almost to make up for the lack of real evidence of problem. I think we're in dark days. It's great to see you again, my friend, and thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Ezra. There you have it. Andrew Lawton, the host of The Andrew Lawton Show on TNC.news. Stay with us more ahead. Hey, welcome back. On my show last night, Grace writes, Help, I'm from Manitoba. I don't trust the vaccine, but it seems like I will be a prisoner in my province if I don't. Well, that's the crazy thing, is they're making you positively inject something in your blood or you're not allowed to live your life. Even if you're healthy, even if you've had the disease and have recovered and are naturally immune to it, they're taking away your rights if you don't participate in a medical experiment. I say that because... These drugs haven't finished their experimentation yet. They're still in trials. Robert writes, since when did elected officials become dictators without a vote? Well, that's a really good question. Um, I think because the rest of the system allowed them to, the opposition parties, the media, the courts. Matt writes, I've never been more disappointed in a conservative leader than I have been with Doug Ford. Well, then it sounds like you haven't met Brian Pallister or even Jason Kenney. Yeah, I think we're in dark days, my friends, and I think even though the pandemic itself is abating, well, the lockdowns are just getting started with the vaccine passports. That's the show for today. 
Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us at Rebel World Headquarters to you at home, good night. Keep fighting for freedom. Thank you.